ho, ho, everyone, and welcome to another DevOps Decrypted uh, podcast. This is our sixth episode, Recap to the Future. Uh, I'm your host, Romy Greenfield, and joining me today, I have Jobin and Matt. So, guys, what do you want to talk about today? Um, oh, do we to talk about DevOps today? It's, we're in, like, it's the holiday season. We, um, we kind of want to... Um, um, kick off loose and uh, like go off and, uh, and have our holidays now don't we um yeah we can just talk about skiing holidays that have been cancelled and uh <laughs> what presents you're going to get your grandma uh or you know we could talk about like aws stuff <laughs> that's a good idea so yeah we could talk about <laughs> aws we can have um and maybe um yeah it's like the turn of the year um i guess when this goes out everyone's going to be in full-on holiday season which means um predictions time right yeah, I, I thought the holiday season already kick-started by, you know, the AWS reInvent. Usually going to the reInvent is like going on holidays. It's so much fun, right? It is, yeah. Um, I've only been to the London ones. Um, we go basically to a, a gigantic, vast conference centre over in, in East London um, called Excel. Um, I think there's also one called Word and PowerPoint somewhere. No, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, reInvent over in Las Vegas. Um, it's a yeah. big deal. I mean, there is like, uh, you know, too many, too many uh, things happening in parallel. You just don't have time to be everywhere, right? I mean, you'll be running all around in the casinos, you know, and you'll be tempted to obviously do some gambling, but then you have to attend all these keynotes. You know, you don't want to miss any action, right? It's a real hard one, isn't it? I I, I remember um, first going to yeah, so the London one um, probably five or six years ago. And um, the the proliferation of strands and threads and streams um, and announcements that were coming out um, all over the place um, was uh, it was a bit intimidating actually, um, and I can only imagine that's got worse. Um, and I kind of feel that when I look down this list of announcements that uh, that have come out of the um, of reinvent over the last week or so, where there's just so much stuff. There is, yeah. And I think it's a reflection of how AWS is now a very mature business and people are using AWS not just for storing some files in the cloud like we did in 2009, uh, 2009 um, and not just for virtual machines, um, but Amazon have come further along um, the um, supply of services, um, higher order services and, and taking you know, design and implementation stuff away from uh, from us in a good way and so there's just loads of it right yeah i like the fact that you know it's not just new services that's coming up i mean that's always something to look forward to and aws really surprises you with you know coming up with really um, good services that improves our lives um, during, during the work but at the same time all these existing services i keep improving it to a way that we didn't expect in the past uh, th- there's a lot to talk about but uh, yeah the kind of improvements they're making it's mind-boggling yeah, absolutely is. Um, and um, I don't know, uh, so we, we found, um, actually, Jobin, you found on a good page, like summarising some of the the, the best of the uh, the announcements. Um, even that was a bit too much for me to uh, to digest. But um, but yeah, we've been through it and picked out a few things that we, we want to go into that are probably relevant to to a DevOps audience that speak to um, the um, the particular specialisms that people have got that, that like to listen to the podcast. So um yeah, should we should, should we do that? Should we go through some of these things? Yeah, my favorite one is the CloudWatch Run. And mainly because 
but I thought there would be rum involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's definitely rum. If it says there's going to be rum. <laughs> you know, it's in the Christmas spirit, literally, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I quite like this one. So rum, I think, um, quick Google quick, is, uh, yeah, real user monitoring. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that sounds like um, something that's an obvious thing that everyone's doing, right? Real user monitoring? Yeah, you'd hope uh, so. <laughs> it, it, definitely. I mean, we talked about monitoring quite a bit in the last episode. Uh, so we, we all know how critical it is to you know, design any application, uh, obviously, in terms of law and scaling and performance. Um, so I guess it is one of the key things that AWS tried to address. Um, no surprises there, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I guess so. And um it's an interesting one because we look at monitoring as meaning so many different things. I mean, as you said, we, we spent uh, a decent a decent chunk of time last time just going through monitoring, um, whether it's like logging or checking that um, ports are up um, or, uh, or who knows what. And this one looks like an interesting new entrant to the market. Um, and I think it takes Amazon a bit closer to the territory of uh, companies like uh, Dynatrace, New Relic, New Relic uh, yeah, doing that yeah. sort of thing, right? Um, if it's real user monitoring, so um, I'm interpreting real user monitoring as being um, about checking things like errors that come off of uh, consumers' web browsers um, yeah. and the using web bugs to track how long it actually takes to get um, content delivered to a web browser, like from the client perspective. Um, and looking at the same sort of territory as client end tools, things like, I don't know, Sentry um, doing that. And this is the first time I've seen one of the cloud providers doing this. Um, unless, unless you say anything else. No, I mean, uh, that's absolutely right. So this one is monitoring the application's client side performance. So what's happening on the client machines and not just on the AWS side of things. AWS is doing, of course, hosting. Uh, but there are a lot of services that uh, AWS has which improves the client-side performances, uh, you know, the ones like uh, caching, uh, that gives you caching uh, options and stuff. Um, so with RAM, I think they're, they're going to look at, you know, uh, where the performance is impacted, whether it is client-side or server-side, right? So this actually cloud-wise, by giving it some cloud-wise, you get that breakdown of where the application performance is impacted. Um, good idea. You don't have to rely on third-party applications anymore. You can do that right there in CloudWatch, which obviously is free uh, in many cases. So, yeah, well, it depends on how you use it. Depends um, on how <laughs> we use it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We managed to accidentally get some rather large CloudWatch bills um, in the past through um, <laughs> through you know turning things on um, and uh, and yeah, you know, frankly, benefiting from it. Um, I don't, you know, it's great that we can get some of these things for free, um, but equally. There's a price on this sort of information. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I haven't drilled down into the details, but it looks like you know there is real time um, uh, monitoring across different geolocations, different browsers, different devices. You know, enabling you to optimize the performance. So there's quite a lot of things happening here. You know, something definitely I want to try out at some point. Yeah, and I think it's probably like a lot of the um, similar initiatives that Amazon has started off where there's probably not a huge amount to it right now. Um, but I think Amazon are quite famous at releasing things um, that if it were a mature product, then there would be a lot more to them. Um, but yeah, give it away for free to start with um, and you know, see what the appetite is for these things and build on them over the next few years. Um, 
you know, I'm quite excited about this um, this this rum. Um, so yeah, there you go. Rum for you, Romy. Brilliant, huh? Delicious. Yeah. Start the holidays with a bit of rum. Yeah. Very excited. <laughs> Speaking about all these predictions, I mean, one thing I liked about it, we talked about containerization quite a bit in the last episode, right? Now they are introducing caching to ECR, and ECR is one of the services that we use on AWS quite a bit, uh, especially in the container world, uh, to host the Docker images. Um, so it's the Elastic Container Registry, right? Yeah. Uh, I think by introducing caching, um, AWS is uh, doing a service to all of us because a lot of the performance issues in the past were to do with you know um, how fast you can pull images from um, Docker Hub or the other public uh, uh, registries available out there. Uh, with the introduction of caching on ECR, I think that performance will be you know impacted in a good way. Um, it will reduce the time for pulling uh, images from the public repositories or registries. Yeah, and I think this is another one, uh, another entry in the um, uh, the ongoing kind of. Amazon slash Docker, slightly public uh, battle going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, yeah, it's it's great to have the pull through. Um, and, I, and I say that because um, things like the limitations that are on Docker Hub are now, um, I've been bitten by that um, a few times in recent weeks um, for, for you know, public images um, coming across where you can only download a certain number of them in a certain mm-hmm. amount of time. Um, so, so there's that um, also. Um, as you say, performance, brilliant. If you've got things cached in ECR, then they don't have to be downloaded from the hub. So, um, and again, we're probably talking about relatively small amounts of time saving. Um, but given that, you know, we're DevOps and you know, we're trying to encourage people to do um, tight feedback loops and iterate quickly, um, that's only going to help. Um, the other angle on this, which um, is interesting, I, I feel, is um, is a security one. Um, and there's um, there's there's another security announcement um, in this, which I'll come to in a minute. Um, but um, yeah, having those images, um, or having the ability to cache images that are maybe public or semi-public, um, or even you know private images from somewhere else, means that in your build processes, you're pulling all the images from the same place now. They're all mm-hmm. coming from ECR, um, which again can only be a good thing because you've got you've got a centralized place where all the images come from. Um, yeah. And I presume if you have any like scanners out there, uh, maybe something like the Tisluck, which will you know look for vulnerabilities on Docker images, you can potentially run that against ECR. Now you don't have to go out and you know do that during the build process. Maybe do it in advance. I don't know. Just thinking yeah. out loud. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned scanning because that was the other thing I was going to talk about. Um, there's this thing called the AWS um, Amazon Inspector. So yeah. around continual vulnerability management. Um, so I think um, when we get onto the predictions bit, we'll talk a lot about DevSecOps being um, bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and w- one of the things that I've noticed over the, the last few months, maybe even going into the last few years, is that um, doing anything with containers anymore, especially when you're using um, public images, either as your base image um, or as in an interim build stage, um, you kind of got to have scanning. Um, even if it doesn't pick anything up, um, because the quality of these images is so good these days, um, just to have that assurance that uh, that, that you're as safe as you can be, um, or if you're cynical, to tick off some boxes on an audit requirement. Um, yeah, absolutely essential. So yeah, we've seen you know, Amazon um, Inspector, vulnerability management service, 
um, which is looking at vulnerabilities in images um, and across your virtual machines. Um, I think it even goes into um, scanning uh, something almost akin to old-fashioned disk scanning um, for vulnerabilities on EC2 instances as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it sounds really, really exciting. Yeah, I was just reading through it. Uh, it's interesting that they now have integration with AWS organizations. So you don't have to do it on an account level. You can now set it up for the entire organization. Uh, and once you set it up, it will scan through, uh, uh, as you mentioned, the EC2 instances, ECR repositories, all of that uh, in the entire organization. So the different accounts that you might have. So we could actually potentially do it for adaptive as a whole or go to a customer and set it up for the entire organization on the customer side, right? Yeah, we'd love a bit of that. Yeah. So we've done some decent amount of um, uh, of work in the last couple of years um, around AWS account, account organizations. Um, you know, I was cynical about it in the first place, as I always am. Um, no, actually, I'm not always cynical, or am I? Um, around, you know, why have we got all these accounts? Um, and the reality is we've got hundreds of Amazon accounts. Um, and they're great for separation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, production, staging, development, put all them in different accounts if you can uh, for yep. separation. Um, we even, well, everybody who's technical in, in, in Adaptivist, sorry, um, can get their own um, sandbox account for doing what they want in. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so, you know, we're very kind of liberal around that. Um, yeah, I Another interesting bit I was reading through on that particular one is, you know, there's the integration with Amazon EventBridge. Um, so you can integrate with event management and workflow systems and then connect it with systems like, you know, Splunk and even Jira. Um, so you can trigger automated remediation. That's very interesting. I found that very interesting, especially with us being, you know, Atlassian partners and all. Uh, it's probably a good opportunity for us to, you know, talk to our customers and say that how you can connect uh, those sort of things with, you know, maybe Splunk, uh, pull all the logs into Splunk and maybe even integrate with Jira, automatically create tickets as soon as you come across any vulnerabilities. Yeah, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe if it is critical, maybe even now that we are Slack partners, you know, send a message to the channel, let them know that, hey, there's a critical vulnerability. You, you better get going. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, I'm very interested in uh, in this from an internal perspective because we're already doing things like using um, uh, guardrails on, yeah. on Amazon, which um, so you would create these sandbox accounts for people um, and it only lets you do a subset of things. Um, and, you know, whilst not wanting to kind of squish down the innovation that people are doing and the experiments that people are doing, it, it kind of gives us a little bit more, um, a little bit more confidence that, that bad things aren't happening to be able to add um, this new um, inspector into the mix. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, and speaking of security, right, another thing that I liked a lot about is, you know, um, AWS announcing that uh, network access analyzer that will help you identify the unintended uh, network access on uh, VPCs. Uh, one thing I was really scared of when I started working on AWS initially was, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to set up VPCs and, you know, um, uh, all the different uh, things within a VPC, subnets, um, uh, network uh, access points and everything. But at the same time, I was a bit scared. Am I actually opening up any holes anywhere? And uh, am I uh, unintentionally opening it uh, to the internet? Uh, obviously, you know, I would then pull in others from uh, different teams to uh, take another look at it, uh, just to have some peer reviews. 
Now, it seems like AWS is coming up with its own services, which will help you identify those unintended uh, network accesses. Uh, it, it's very reassuring, to be honest. There's, there's about three or four things here which you can glue together um, as an, how, how and as you wish, um, depending on your risk appetite, um, to, yeah, to, to make sure that, yeah, that the values don't get in. Or, or if you, well, I think you have to accept that the bad people will get in at some point to something. Um, and the worst thing about that is if you don't know about it. And yeah, another tool that's um, yeah, going to help um, identify that. So yeah, if you can't stop them getting in, then you, you damn well better make sure that you know that they've been in, right? Mm, or that they're still there and kick them out. Oh, yeah. now uh, we're getting back into ghost stories now. Going <laughs> to be along any minute now. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, I was always scared about this AWS shared responsibility model, in which you know the responsibility of keeping our network security is on us, not on AWS. And uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing in many ways, but at the same time, you know, for some reason, the word responsibility scares me a lot. Uh, which, of course, <laughs> you know, we, we will have to make sure that the network is closed enough you know, that we are not um, letting anybody else come in. Uh, with these additional services, you know, I feel a little bit more confident and I'm pretty sure, you know, a lot of folks who are starting on AWS will really appreciate it. Yeah, I also noticed they've they've got the AWS chatbot. It now supports management of AWS resources in Slack. Um, so you can help like remediate issues um, in AWS workloads by running AWS CLI commands, even like from within Slack channels. So that's quite handy. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I mean, part of me is like, oh, that's going to get you away from your, your configuration as code um, type scenario, but it doesn't have to. Um, and I think, yeah, we're seeing more and more of these integrations with things like Slack um, and the ability to use, I don't know, AI, bit of ML to convert um, Somebody sending in a ticket saying things like, um, "Please, can you create me an EC2 instance to do blah 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 blah," um, mm. and you know, automating that that sort of things to give people what they need. Um, yeah, fabulous, fantastic, and yeah, more things bringing up on Slack. <laughs> Sorry, man, this one is specifically interesting because it it seems like it will let you run AWS CLI commands from Slack channels. Um, I remember, I think it was during one of our hack days, I think one of the teams was looking at creating AWS CLI commands from, not, not specifically AWS, they were looking at, you know, uh, invoking builds in Jenkins from Slack and, you know, that sort of things. And this one is very, very interesting because it's pretty much doing the same thing, but actually running AWS CLI commands, uh, which is even better because you can do quite a lot of things using AWS CLI. Not, not quite a lot, almost everything that you can do on AWS using AWS CLI. Um, so if you can do that right from Slack, uh, yeah, that, that's really powerful. Yeah, and it could be helpful, you know, if you're in the middle of an incident and you just need to run something really quickly, maybe someone's alerted you on Slack. You know, it doesn't have to, it could be that something needs changing instantly and then you could catch up with, you know, a forward fix, like pull request if, if you need to change the infrastructure as code. Yeah. Yeah, and I like, I like the way that, um, so... Um, yeah, I like the way that you can not just do those commands, but presumably it's it's a very very easy step to notify people that that stuff's happened. Um, you know, the commands that you're that you're making, so um, so you're integrating not only the fixes but also notification of what people are doing to fix things um, when you're when you're swarming on an incident. Um, 
And, and yeah, um, picking up on what you just said, Jobin, about like it's got the, the CLI behind it. Um, famously, the, um, the CLI um, can do everything that you can on the console, on the web console. Sometimes yeah. things lag behind a little bit, um, but not by much. So, yeah, the fact that it's a chatbot and it uses a CLI on the back end means that it's going to do pretty much everything you could possibly want to do to any AWS service anywhere ever. Um, yeah, really, really powerful. And, um, yeah, I'm going to lie in a darkened room and think about all the possibilities of that. because that's, uh, that's Yeah, amazing. this will probably redefine the way ChatOps works, right? Because right now we are using Slack mostly for uh, notifications and monitoring. Now we are talking about operate uh, using Slack. So that is definitely, I think, going to redefine uh, the whole chat ops scenarios. Because mm, it makes it more synchronous, doesn't it? Um, exactly. Yeah. We've got Slack channels uh, pinging off saying um, this has gone down or um, well, not very often because we're good. Um, well, at least I hope not we, very we often. We believe you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things like we've deployed this, or we've deployed that. Um, so-and-so has... Um, committed stuff to a Git repository. Um, and any actions that we tend to take off the back of those tend to involve command tabbing out of Slack and then going off and finding a terminal window and doing something or a web browser and doing something. Um, and I've always been um, um, thinking that having things ping off in Slack is all very well and good, um, but it's not the end of the story. And being able to do this stuff um, synchronously in Slack, so if something happens and you want to react to it, um, is, uh, is is where you get the real value. Um, and yes, we've got bots that can do things like trigger uh, Jenkins bills, et cetera. Um, but we've kind of been reinventing um, doing things on, on the web console or doing things on with the command line up until now. Um, mm -hmm. And so having this uh, takes a lot of that work away. Yeah, that's awesome. Looking forward to spending more time in Slack, said no one ever. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> with your thousand channels. <laughs> oh, are there any other things that excited you about what AWS released? I think that's probably enough AWS for today, isn't it? Um, I think um, something we probably should have signposted is that um, other cloud providers are available. Um, <laughs> and I think it's um, an essential part of any sensible strategy um, that uh, not only are we, do we put ourselves in a position where we can start exploiting and taking advantage of new things that AWS provide. Um, you know, AWS, uh, sorry, Adaptivist is an AWS partner. Um, we do a lot of things in AWS. They're our primary cloud provider. Um, uh, but yeah, part of the essential strategy is making sure that we're not too uh, enthusiastic about these things and making sure that we're not outsourcing our entire IT strategy to AWS. So yeah, it's brilliant, um, and these announcements are you know really really good, uh, really good stuff coming along. Um, each one of them, we need to be quite careful with. I think um, make sure that we are doing the right things for the right reason. Um, there's some of this stuff. There's a temptation of like, um, oh no, new JavaScript framework, new new shiny. We have to go and you know, go and use this. Uh, that sort of mentality around some of these things, mm -hmm. um, which yeah, we have to be a bit more careful about. Um, but yeah, overall. Um, all of these things where it looks like uh, AWS have gone to the efforts of providing things that save us having to think about the technical detail of, um, it's got to be good, right? Yeah, and I, I do want to reinforce what you're saying. There, there are other cloud providers out there, and uh, obviously we have seen that companies are more and more 
embracing the cloud agnostic um, architectures and designs, right? And uh, they're looking at multiple clouds at the same time. And we have seen over the years that, you know, uh, Azure for example, GCP is growing at a really, really fast rate. And there's a lot of market share out there. So it's not like, you know, uh, AWS is slowing down. Uh, it, it's just that, you know, all the other cloud providers are catching up and the growth is pretty much similar to AWS if you if you take a look at it. Uh, and I guess it's it's safe to say that Adaptivus is also uh, cloud agnostic in many ways because we don't solely look at uh, AWS even though we are a AWS partner. Uh, there are a lot of customers out there who actually want to host uh, Jira Data Center, for example, on Azure because they are a Microsoft shop and uh, they don't want to do in AWS. And we are like, uh, we just go with what the customer wants and, you know, uh, we always do what they need. Um, we have done quite a lot of implementation on AWS, but at the same time, we have done it on Azure. And uh, none, I, I'm involved on GCP, but I'm pretty sure there are people who are doing in GCP as well. Yeah, and people are choosing different providers for for for, for good reasons. Um, and the interesting thing is um, that uh, it's not so much. I mean, we 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 can fall into a trap of trying to work out which AWS service is equivalent to which Azure service is equivalent to which GCP one um, under the uh, the guise of doing like a multi-cloud strategy. Um, but I think yeah, the interesting stuff is where they differ. Um, and you know, in particular, where you know you, you get a lot of Azure take up in organisations that have been traditionally Microsoftian, um, mm. if that's a word it is now, um, mm. and um, you know similarly you see um, organisations that started out along the G Suite route a long time ago go to GCP. Um, I thought you were going to say Googley, but that's all. <laughs> if Microsoftian's a word, then Googley's got to be one, right? Um, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Google do use Googliness in their interview procedure. I've heard that before. Like they rate someone based on their Googliness. There we go. So, you know, it's real. These things are real. You heard it here <laughs> first. Guys. So we're not inventing <laughs> these words. So I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they've been used before, haven't they? <laughs> I look forward to more Googliness. What, what would the adaptivist equivalent be? Adapt to liveliness. getting... <laughs> Adaptivist is too many syllables as it is, isn't it? Uh, it's just getting silly now, right? Got adaptive vision. Adaptive vision. <laughs> How much adaptive vision do you have? <laughs> well, we usually adapt to the customer, hence the name Adaptivist, right? But hey, I'm making it up. <laughs> <laughs> So um, what would you guys think is coming in the future for DevOps in 2022? Ooh, I mean, I, I'll say probably start with cloud, right? I mean, it's always going to be, you know, cloud focused, especially uh, a lot of the, I mean, I, I think with pandemic, um, I, I think it has increased the importance of cloud because a lot of the time, you know, you are not there in the data centers anymore. So you're relying on, you know, uh, remote operating, anything, and cloud is obviously you know giving you that opportunity. Everything is now moving to cloud, and uh, that trend is going to continue in future. What do you think, Matt? Yeah. Um, so there's, um, I, I think there's a, a, a tie-in here that we can do with um, what's being termed the Great Resignation. Don't know if you've heard of that, uh -huh. um, but it's the the idea that since the pandemic started, that people are now um voting with their feet and doing things like not only moving out of big urban areas to live where they want to live 
Um, mm. But also now having the choice of being able to work for companies that are increasingly more distributed. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's massively opening up the, the job market for people. Um, and you're probably thinking, what the hell has this got to do with DevOps and security? Um, so there's an interesting parallel with um, you know, something that we've been looking at um, in, in security terms, which is that um, given that people are working remotely, it, uh, the pandemic wasn't wasn't as, as a seismic change for adaptivists as it was for many organizations, given that we were already remote um, you know, for the first few years of the company's existence. That I don't think there was even an office. Um, back in the the early 2000s, or the, sorry, the mid 2000s, but for many, it's involved things like um, coming to terms with things like all your employees are not in the office, um, and therefore they're not coming from the same IP address range um, yeah. that they always were. Therefore, you need to, um, or do you lock down everything to be behind a VPN? Um, and how does that work in in scenarios where? actually you're not self-hosting everything because maybe you're using um, GitHub or Circle CI or um, any number of SaaS products, SaaS products, um, which are all over the place. You can't lock things down anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a consensus. Uh, we discovered this um, within Adaptivist and there's, um, you know, there's, uh, we've got some predictions coming out um, for this where um, we're going to have to double down on security because all these safeguards that we used to have um, aren't quite as valid as they always were. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, right? It's not just about moving your applications to cloud. We are also talking about companies actually moving their entire development into cloud. So we are starting to see, you know, a, a lot of developers using cloud name for some last ID and they are not relying on, uh, you know, uh, IntelliJ or Eclipse on their workstation anymore. Uh, in fact, you know, a lot of the organizations are now moving their entire workstation to AWS uh, using AWS workspaces, right? So those are some mm. of the trends that we have started seeing. Um, so yeah, and and cloud cloud nine's been around for a few years um, and has kind of gained in in importance and significance. Um, but now other people are getting into the, this game. Um, I mentioned GitHub Universe earlier. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, GitHub Universe, their event, they've announced um, some improvements on um, on their own um, cloud-based IDE. I can't remember the name of it. Apologies. Um, but if you think who who owns GitHub, do you remember who owns GitHub? Microsoft now, right? Microsoft, yeah. <laughs> and you think, um, hmm, is there a really, really good editor um, or IDE that people might use uh -huh. um, from Microsoft? Um, Oh yeah, VS Code, Visual Studio Code. Studio, Everyone's gone, yeah. Yeah, um, really hot on on VS Code. Its market share has just gone whoosh um, in the last couple of years. And so you can basically run VS Code in the cloud now. Um, exactly. And uh, oh my god, that means that basically your every single keystroke that your developers are now doing is getting sent off to uh, to GitHub or to Amazon or to, in, in Cloud Nine, etc. Oh my god, that's quite scary, right? Yeah. It's a bit scary, but at the same time, you don't have to worry about you know traveling with your laptop uh, when you're going on vacations, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Go to the beach and you know start working on any machine that you can find there. I mean, not that we're going to have a lot of machines there and starting to work in holidays, but you, you can basically travel, right? I mean, and access your workspace from anywhere. Mm. That's an mm. advantage. 
in many yeah. ways. That's definitely not something I yeah. want. <laughs> if I'm traveling, I don't I'm like, oh no, sorry, I can't do that. I haven't got the right SSH keys on this machine. Sorry, I'm on holiday. Bye. I'm just gonna go and sip another another rum. That, that excuse is not valid anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got all the live sharing, so you know you can be working even when you're pairing with people remotely. Um, I know that IntelliJ's got their own version of that as well. So all of like all of the IDs are enabling people to work remotely even if they're pairing on something that's not just one right i mean there are a lot of other predictions coming on the uh probably for 2022 uh in terms of you know everything has scored we have talked about uh you know configuration has scored infrastructure has scored um, in the past quite a bit uh, i think that trend is again going to continue uh right uh, everything is going to be on call and uh, i can't imagine a, a, anything like in the past where, you know, we are doing something. <laughs> it's interesting. We just spoke about, you know, doing, uh, invoking AWS CLI from Slack, but is that going to be a trend? I don't see that happening because, you know, anything that you want to do on AWS or any any infrastructure that you want to create, you actually want to monitor it. Everything should be caught. Everything should be checked into your source control repository, right? So that's going to be interesting uh, because if you, if you start, calling AWS CLI commands on Slack, who is keeping track of them, right? Well, yeah. Um, so this is something that I, actually I, I find quite intriguing and even almost exciting about the industry that we're working in is that we come up with, um, we come up with ways of working um, and things that make our lives easier. And then almost in the next breath, we then go and introduce something that kind of utterly changes that or or invalidates um, yeah. the, um, the the assumptions that we'd made before, um, and oh my god, that can be really really stressful. Actually, if you think we're doing this and then this new thing comes along, oh, we can't do that anymore. Um, if we use this new thing, right? Well, let's not use the new thing, and then you you end up with people subtly in the back door using this new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, shadow IT, etc. And then you're like, ah, we're going to have to do something about this. Um, and my first reaction is like, oh, right, we need to control this. Um, don't worry, it's only a reaction that lasts very momentarily because I realize it's uh, it, it's absolutely um, um, impossible uh, and not something we should do. Um, we should be encouraging people who are using new things um, and, 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 and solving their problems um, and working out ways of making them work well. And maybe there is a route here. Um, I mean, the, the phrase GitOps has flashed into my mind here. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the first chatbots that we do uh, with the new AWS functionality end up um, causing all sorts of configuration drift and people get cross because suddenly someone's changed something with a chatbot and now Terraform is going, rrr, 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 this has changed. Exactly. Uh, it does not compute. Um, but then we make it part of the, part of the system somehow. Um, so you can be committing um, code, possibly commit changes through this chatbot. Um, those changes. Oh, another are- chatbot to support this oh. one. Yeah, I can yeah. see an army of chatbots now. <laughs> They're going to need the likes of us humans. Our, 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 our raw flesh is going to be um, redundant before we know it, right? Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, right? I mean, it's not always going to be, uh, you know, tools and chatbots on the uh, on the DevOps world because one of the interesting predictions uh, that we are seeing for 2022 is, you know, a lot lot more focus on people and culture than on tools and processes. 
which which I thought was very interesting because you know people immediately think of tools and processes when when they talk about DevOps. Uh, but I think in this show we have talked in the past about you know how people and culture is very very important for that equation. And uh, in real life, we are seeing that shift in uh, shift while working with customers because we are already seeing that a lot of the customers are now focusing on the people culture aspect of DevOps. Uh, do you see that trend continuing, and is it going to take over you know tools and processes going forward? I think it has to because the tools are getting both simpler to implement um, and more complicated in what they can do. So, yeah, people are like, yeah, tools, yeah, let's do some DevOps tools. Let's hire some people to install some tools. Um, that's like getting easier and easier, um, especially if you're just buying stuff, um, tools uh, across the internet. You're just you know, signing up, um, put a credit card in, off you go, done. Um, and also, yeah, they're getting more complex. Um, and the worst thing you can do with a tool that that um, that solves your problems is to not understand what it, not necessarily how it works, but how it does what it does. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm foreseeing people seeing these tools for what they are, um, which are brilliant, absolutely fantastic, um, buying them. Um, but then the way that you then glue your organization around these tools is going to become more and more important, given that the tools are getting more complicated, we're getting more of them, um, or, or or getting single tools, maybe monolithic tools that do an awful lot. Um, it's going to be really important that we're using these in the right way. Um, and yeah. that to me smacks massively of um, better processes, better culture, um, and everything that that entails. It, it is also the shift in mentality, right? I mean, we, we speak about DevSecOps and all the different tools that is now uh, shifting security to the left, like GitLab is doing a lot of work in that area, for example. Uh, but at the same time, if people are not prepared for that, right? I mean, if developers are not prepared for that early security conversation while they're developing the code, it's going to be failure. So that shift in mentality is very, very important. It, it's also that culture where the security team works hand in hand with developers, um, not working in isolation. Um, so until that culture is developed within the company, anything that you do, like buying a lot of tools or you know buying a monolith uh, application, which will do everything for you, that's not going to help. No, no, exactly. It's um, and I think it's the sort of thing that um, you're going to see people get wrong in an organization first before you get it right. Um, even DevSecOps is is a hard one to actually do it um, according to the letter of why that is different to security in times gone by. Um, it's so easy. We've made this mistake at Adaptivist. I can, I, I, I think I can safely say, um, where with all the best will in the world, you end up actually shifting a load of stuff right um, when you were supposed to be going in the other direction, just because. Um, you haven't managed to get the um, the right mentality going across the organization, which maybe hasn't been working in the right way uh, in the past. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to get these false starts um, and come back to things and look at things like um, why were security teams um, or why were security teams involved and kind of acted in not the wrong way, but not in the way that we wanted to do in a DevSecOps scenario um, why does that actually happen? And unpicking that stuff is, is not easy. 
and especially when you're within it right especially when you are in the organization uh, in the midst of it you probably don't realize what's going wrong and that's probably why you will need some external help in you know taking a step back and looking at as a whole and seeing where the issues are right uh, is it is it with people is it with process is it with uh, you know the tools itself um which is probably also another reason why we are here in this um, value stream management quite a bit these days uh, adaptive is offering workshops on that uh, you know that Matt. Uh, uh, you have yeah. worked on that quite a bit um so is that going to be another trend value stream and value stream mapping and value stream management going forward i see a lot of organizations starting to pick that up uh, quite a bit we have written blogs about it in the past in the recent past um so do you see that as a, yeah. another trend for 2022 i don't know um so the reason i say that is uh vsm value stream management's been a long been around for a long time um it reminds me a little bit of um there's um, an old an old saying in the um, in the community of people who want to use Linux on the desktop, mm-hmm. um, which um, which I have a bash at once a year or so, um, and then generally end up finding that things like Zoom um, and Slack and my web browser don't really work well enough together, and then I go back to my Mac, um, and they say, finally, this is the year of the Linux desktop. And it's an ongoing joke they say every year. Every year, um, is it the same with value stream management, value stream mapping? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, th- I think actually we might be getting somewhere now um, with value stream mappers. Sorry, I'm, I'm trivializing um, the good work that people do in VSM, um, but it doesn't feel like it's quite mainstream. Um, and maybe now is actually the time. Maybe this cut this um, feeds into um, what I was talking about um, a few minutes ago, where um, tools and processes that we use are getting more and more complicated that we're kind of losing sight of what they actually do um and because of that we need to take a we need to like take a big step back and have yeah. a look at um you know what they're what they're giving to uh, for us which is undoubtedly really really good stuff but in the context of the wider organization and delivering stuff um delivering value delivering services getting code out in front of consumers um, might not be as obvious as it as as it once was. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Not that you know, value management. It's a term that had been out there for quite some time. But at the same time, the shift that I'm seeing is you know the customers are starting to recognize the word, right? And they are starting to put budget into you know doing value mapping, uh, which is a positive sign because in the past you know the little budget that you had. Uh, you probably allocated for buying the tool and probably hiring a consultant company like Adaptivist and, you know, coming and helping them. But now they're starting another step back and, you know, looking at uh, VSM as a whole and doing that exercise and finding where your wastage is, where your value is, and attacking those specific specific areas, which is really great. So I see that shift happening. So probably I think the biggest thing is, Customers now realizing that value management is important and probably starting to look at it. It, it has been there always, but now they're starting to more uh, putting their money and effort into doing that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah. What an interesting year we have ahead, right? I guess so. Uh, anything one. more about any other ops? Because we had been hearing about you know, GitOps, chat ops, data ops, recently about AI ops, right? A lot of ops terminology is coming out, not surprisingly. Good, good. Um, yeah. Um, 
the great thing is they all end in ops. So yeah, operational people getting some getting more of um some more time in the spotlight. Um, all, I'm all for that. Um, you know, if you look at DevOps um, where we first came in, um, it was all about um, acknowledging the people who have the software thrown over the wall to them to go and operate and fix in the middle of the night. Um, and yes, we're putting lots of lots of words in front of ops. Um, brilliant, great, bring it all on. Any closing words about Kubernetes? We know how much you like Kubernetes. <laughs> oh, I love the Kubernetes. Although, interestingly, um, and yeah, and I think this I can turn this into a prediction. Um, so I was on a call. Uh, no, you were on this call as well, Jobin, where um, I'm the Kubernetes guy, and I was saying, um, don't use Kubernetes. Don't use Kubernetes for this. I remember that one, yeah. I remember, yeah. So it was um, an installation for um, for a customer we were talking about. Was it a data um, center? Because the yeah. the client didn't have any expertise on Kubernetes on their side. So mm. the ongoing maintenance was going to be difficult, right? That's the reason you, you said probably you need to take a step back and think about recommending this for the customer. Yeah, yeah. It's um, so Kubernetes is um, it's massive. Um, I don't go. Uh, there's not a single day where I don't mention the K word, um, but um, it's still. Um, I wouldn't say it was mainstream in terms of well, it undoubtedly is in some organisations. In the organisations that we see, that we do consultancy for and we provide services for, we see a, a massive um, breadth of of skills and maturity, etc. Um, and we can't do things like just install Kubernetes for a customer when they've never even seen Docker containers. Um, that ain't going to happen. Um, but you no know, part much of me is like, oh, this is actually a really a missed opportunity because we've got really good Kubernetes manifests, hound charts for um, for the core products that we um, that we deploy. Um, partly thanks to the efforts of the community, and partly part partly due to some hard work. Um, by people in Adaptivist. Um, and yeah, it's a missed opportunity and it's waiting for the world to catch up. Um, and so, yeah, Kubernetes, more of that. Um, 2022, um, maybe at the end of 2022, we can be having conversations around the kind of customers that we were talking about um, last week, um, where this is actually an option. And this this wonderful dream of Kubernetes being the operating system for containers um, is as universal a thing as um virtual machines are maybe yeah exciting that would be yeah every customer having a mat working for them who loves kubernetes and can't take care of it oh god i can't think of anything worse can you <laughs> so 2022 we get cloning mats cloning mats no. like that stop this world i want to get off <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us for this holiday edition of devops decrypted please at us on social media at adaptivist live and from me, thank you for listening. From Matt. Thanks, everyone. And from Jovin. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy Ciao. holidays. <laughs>